Go ahead and turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. So 1 Timothy chapter 4, 6 through 16 will be our sermon text for this morning. Verse 6 says, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine you have followed, having nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourselves for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and we strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers as an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come again, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourselves in them, so that you may see your progress. Keep a close close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourselves and your hearers. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father, we are so very much grateful for your grace and for your mercy, for your love, Lord, that we have sung about and we have declared to one another in, Lord, that we've been reminded of already today by your word. Father, we thank you that you are God who hears the prayers of your people, Lord, who hears the confession of your people, and Lord, that you respond to us because of Christ with great grace and mercy. Lord, we are so grateful for the cross. We're thankful, Lord, that Jesus had paid it all for us. And so, Father, as we think about what it means to live the Christian life as those who have been washed clean by the blood of Christ, Father, we pray that as we consider this text from 1 Timothy that each and every one of us would commit ourselves in Jesus to train ourselves for for godliness. That, Lord, even though we have been justified by your grace through faith alone at the moment of our conversion. Lord, we know that throughout our Christian lives, it's a long and continuous struggle to put to death the flesh, to put to death our sinful nature by the power of your spirit and your word. And Father, we know that this can be grueling and intense and rigorous. And Lord, it requires great self-discipline. But Lord, it also requires the community of the church. And Lord, as we continue to look forward to the planting of Redemption Church, Father, we pray that Redemption Church would be this type of community that fosters and and cultivates a, a discipleship culture in which every member of the body is being built up to further maturity, further Christ-likeness, further conformity to the Savior of our lives. Father, we pray that Redemption Church would be a holy people, a people not stagnant and plateauing and declining in our spiritual vigor, but Lord, a people that are growing and maturing and becoming ever more like Christ as we exhibit holiness and love in our relationship with one another. 
Father, we pray that by your grace that you would do this in our lives. And Father, as we consider your word together today, that you would be with us and help us. Spirit, give me words to say and to speak in such a way that they are your words, fitting for the building up of your church. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for being here this morning as we continue to worship the Lord together. And Tim, thank you for being here today too, brother, and leading us in worship and song. Um, And so today we're looking at 1 Timothy chapter 4, 6 through 16. And, you know, I think there's really two different types of people in the world. There are those who love to work out at the gym, and there are those who hate to work out at the gym. You don't have to raise your hand and say which one you are, but uh, I think all of us kind of know we're we're either a gym rat or we can't stand it. We'll do everything possible, come up with any excuse to miss going to the gym. And so there are some that just wake up and ready to to go to the gym bright and early, and and those people tend to make me want to groan. But... uh, (laughs) But there are those people out there, right? But whether you love the gym or hate the gym, I think we can all agree that, that no one drifts into physical health. You don't just kind of wake up one day and say, oh, what, guess I'm 20 pounds lighter today, right? Isn't that wonderful? It, it just doesn't happen that way, right? That if you want to get physically fit, it requires intentional planning. It requires discipline in your diet. And of course, it requires commitment. It requires scheduling and prioritizing, making sure you do go to the gym, waking up early, even though you don't want to, to get there before the work rush starts, right? But in physical training can be so very difficult. In fact, it's difficult to do by yourself, which is why some people enlist a trainer. He's not here today, but there's a great guy named, you know, Thermone who does personal fitness training, right? And I, I said I'd mention him as long as I get a portion of his commission, right? So, so you can go talk to him uh, later on, but he's not here today. You can pray for his son, Titus. I think he's having a rough morning. Um, but, but there's personal fitness trainers, right, to help provide added accountability and encouragement and wisdom. And, th- and that can be a popular way to help you stay committed, right, to making sure you get physically fit. In recent years, there's been kind of different models of doing gyms and stuff. So the CrossFit phenomenon is, is really fascinating. It's been particularly popular. And so every time I watch Instagram videos of cro- people doing CrossFit, I always wonder when someone's spine is going to snap. But, um, but I suspect that the popularity of CrossFit isn't the, the kind of crazy workouts that they do, but it's probably more the community that is fostered as people are working alongside each other and there's accountability and relationship there. And so I think that's the reason it's become so popular. And so as we think about this, you know, physical workout that that we do for our bodies, it's interesting that as we look at the church, we see here in 1 Timothy that the church is to be a sort of spiritual gem, if you will, Uh, a community that fosters training in our relationship with one another as we are all teaching and growing in our knowledge and wisdom of Christ. And of course, God has designed this to happen best within the context of his local church. That at the church, everyone is being trained and is a trainer to others simultaneously, right? That we're all growing, right? None of us have arrived in Christ. We still have a long ways to go. More sin to repent of, more fruits of the spirit to put on, right? We have a long ways to grow. But at the same time, God has placed us in community so that we can help others grow, 
It's called discipleship, right? It's called training one another in the teachings of Christ and to live in accordance to the teachings of Christ. This ministry is collective. So everyone ought to be slowly growing more and more in Christ in the local church. That's the goal, right? That everybody's becoming more mature in Jesus. (coughs) So as we look towards the planting of Redemption Church, the edification of the saints... Edification is just a fancy word for the, for the building up, right? The building up of the saints will be a key part of our mission and our focus. And a key part of what it means to be a member of Redemption Church is that, that we're engaged in this work, right? We're being trained and we're training others. It's what it means to be in the body. So today as we look at 1 Timothy 4, we're going to see that Paul is going to instruct Timothy on how to train for godliness within his own life, but he also says to put these things before the brothers in verse six, right? So in many ways, this is a, a pattern of training and discipleship that, that Paul not only gives Timothy to use himself, but that he uses as kind of a, a prescription for the body of Christ. So, so we see that Paul gives him that and he admonishes Timothy in particular as the leader of the church to live his own life as a model, as an example to the church, particularly as a man who is a young pastor. So here's the sermon summary in a sentence, right? The church is a gym that trains and develops Christians to spiritual maturity. That's what the church ought to be about. It ought to be a community that helps one another grow in godliness in our lives. And so I pray that this morning that God's word would would move in your heart and your life to a disciplined pursuit of godliness, that you would resolve, that you would commit yourself to seeking maturity in Christ and that you would do that within the context of the local church and that by God's grace, right, that you would be more mature and not just mature for maturity's sake, but that you would in turn become a model for others in the congregation, that you would not just be trained by the church, but that you would become a trainer within the church. This is what we all should aspire to. So let's talk about this first point this morning, this idea that we must train for godliness, train for godliness. So we have to cultivate godliness within our own lives. As Christians, we have been saved, we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, right? And God has called us to live a life of holiness. Be holy as I am holy, the Lord says, right? So we should be growing more and more in Christ's likeness. And as we learned last week, if you were here, we learned that the Christian life is a bit of a marathon. It's a race. And we race alongside of our teammates, right? We're all racing together, cooperating, helping one another with alongside of our brothers and sisters in the local church. And this race is a race towards holiness, towards Christ's likeness. And we dash ahead as fast as we can to achieve the prize, which is Christ Jesus. But this pursuit of godliness, this marathon, this race, it can be grueling. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, I think you can testify that that seeking maturity in Christ is not easy. Following Christ requires intentional training. We have to count the cost. Just like nobody drifts into physical fitness, nobody drifts into godliness. You're not just gonna wake up one day and say, all right, I'm more spiritually mature today, right? It's not the way it works, that God has designed us to use the means of grace that he's given us so that his spirit might work through them to mature us and to sanctify us. Following Christ 
requires intentional training. And instead, with the power of the Spirit, we put to death the deeds of our body and we train ourselves for godliness. And this is not easy. It can be grueling. It can be a grit your teeth process, but yet God has designed it for our good in Jesus. So Paul challenges Timothy here in our text before us to cultivate, to train for godliness with his own personal life and within the life of his congregation. And and notice here that this word being trained, look at verse six, right? Being trained in the words of the faith. This verb here in verse seven, it's, it's it's a athletic term, right? The original language here is gymnazo, which is where we get our, the, the, the etymology for the word gymnasium, right? So this is an athletic word here, training. We're training rigorous athletic training. It communicates this idea of strict discipline and, 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 and regimens that you do as a athlete training for competition. So Paul takes that athletic word and applies it here to the Christian life, that we should have this sort of intensity. He implies this athletic term to our spiritual growth. We are to drain. We are to hit the spiritual gem, so to speak, like an athlete having a task before them. And as an Olympic athlete can tell you, to perform at that caliber requires incredible discipline and dedication. Right? If you're an Olympic athlete, you're, you're waking up early to go prepare and to train for the competition. That if you're an Olympic swimmer, Guess what? You're getting up at 4 a.m., right? To go swim a few miles before breakfast. It's what they do. If you're a marathon runner, you just don't wake up and say, I'm going to go run a marathon today. But rather, it requires miles and miles of running every day to prepare yourself to run the marathon at the speed you want to run it. So being an athlete requires more than just hitting the gym and practice, right? It, it requires discipline, dedication, strategy even, all the way down to your diet, to your sleep, to your exercise, all of it. So there, if you're an Olympic athlete, your entire life revolves around preparing yourself for the Olympics, for the competition. So if we want to excel at anything in life, not, not athletics, but just anything, it requires sweat and hard work, doesn't it? It really does. That if you want to become a master at the piano and tickle the ivories like the best of them, right, then you have to rehearse for hours and hours and hours, not just once a week, but every day, getting better and better and better. That if you want to become an expert in your field, whatever your career field is, right, mathematics, engineering, science, art, whatever, that it requires hours of reading, of studying, of training, learning about innovations in your field, keeping up with the latest research and trends, right? You you have to keep up with that stuff. It requires dedication. That if you want to be the greatest basketball player of all time, you, you will spend hours just rehearsing the mechanics of a free throw over and over and over and over again. So anything in life that we want to be excellent at requires training and dedication and discipline. But yet when we think about the Christian life, our spiritual maturity, for some reason, we just don't really seem to care all that much. We don't really seem to dedicate ourselves to the same extent. We don't put the hard work in when it comes to growing in Christ. 
So Paul coaches Timothy here and he gives him a training plan for his spiritual growth. So using athletic imagery, right? He gives Timothy a diet plan, an exercise plan, and he gives Timothy the motivation to continue in his pursuit of godliness. So Timothy is to implement this, again, not only in his own life, but look at verse six. He's to put these things before the brothers, before those in the church, right? This is for them, not just for pastors. This is for all the body of Christ because Paul's words are needed for us. And, and I pray that every one of you here this morning have a desire to grow in godliness, to grow and become more like Christ in your life, to become more like the Savior who saved you. And of course, as we dream and, and envision and pray about what Redemption Church will become, I, I pray that it will become this sort of spiritual gem that those in the membership all have this passion to grow together in godliness and that training one another would be our highest priorities of the church in order that we might set each other loose to fulfill the Great Commission not just in the city of Wilson, but, but around the world, that we would train people and send them out to fulfill and evangelize the world. So if you share in that hope, right, that vision of what Redemption Church can be by God's grace, then let's heed Paul's words together here, this training program, so that we can begin to cultivate godliness in our own lives. So let's stick with that athletic imagery, that metaphor, right? So let's look at like, three aspects of, of Paul's training plan here, right? So the first one he speaks of is the diet, verse six through seven. He talks about as Christians, we must train ourselves continuously by consuming sound doctrine, Look at what it says in verse six. We are to be trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine, right? That part of growing and maturing in Christ means that we must continually daily read the scriptures and we must learn sound doctrine. We must learn theology, that we must fill our minds with the truth of God's word. And so, so in 1 Timothy, we've seen that, that the diet of the sound doctrine is essential for the church, but, but also for your own Christian life, that doctrine is incredibly important. And we know that we should be, what we should be doing, I think everybody knows, all right, you're supposed to read your Bible every day and, and learn a little bit about it, but, but there tends to be problems. There seems to be a disconnect in our actual lives that prevent us from a steady diet of the word. So many of us struggle for a few different reasons. Either we're legitimately, we're just not sure how to do it, right? We just don't know how to read the Bible. No one's ever taught us or showed us. And reading the Bible, it's like we don't even know where to start. We don't know what to read, how much to read. So you just literally don't know what to do. That's probably some, some of you, right? But I think the great majority of us is just that we're lazy, right? We just don't do it because we don't prioritize. We don't make time for it. So many of us struggle with our actual diets, right? We, we eat foods that are too sweet, too greasy, too unhealthy, and we don't have the self-discipline to watch what we put in our stomachs. And the same lack of discipline tends to trickle down into our spiritual lives, we tend to eat things that aren't healthy for us spiritually. So let me give you a few practical tips on, on how you can develop a consistent diet of sound doctrine under the word. And the first is pretty simple, right? Get rid of the junk food. Get rid of the junk food. That we fill our minds with all sorts of rubbish that tend to make us spiritually obese, 
unhealthy, sluggish, right? That if you buy a bag of potato chips at the store, guess what? You're going to end up eating that bag of potato chips, right? So we have to be mindful of the type of stuff in our own spiritual lives that we are consuming. We have to be mindful of the entertainment we're purchasing and consuming. And a steady diet of spiritual junk will end up clogging your spiritual arteries, so to speak. It'll numb your soul. It'll make you dull to the Spirit and the work of the Spirit in your life. Notice that Paul tells Timothy, right, to to have nothing to do, verse 7, nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. And the view here in 1 Timothy has the view of these false teachers in the church, right? And these false, silly teachings that they're, they're promoting that are out of step with the gospel. But in the same way, we are to avoid silly myths and distortions of the gospel that we encounter on a daily basis in our own culture. So first, we just have to be mindful of the junk food that exists all around us and be very careful about what we're consuming and how it's affecting us spiritually. Second, we must daily read the scriptures, right? This is kind of an obvious one, but it's one that that we need to make explicit, that this takes discipline to daily read the scriptures, that if we hope to train ourselves for godliness, then we must devote ourselves to saturating our hearts and our minds with the word of God. So find a great Bible reading plan, right? You can find one online pretty easy. And if you need some help, find me. I'll I'll direct you to a few to look at, right? Find a daily Bible reading plan. Read through a book of the Bible. Do whatever it takes to daily fill your mind with the truth of who God's word, what what it teaches. Third, um, again, real practical here, right? Utilize many great Christian resources that are available to you. We live in an embarrassment of riches when it comes to the level of theological and doctrinal materials that are available for free online, right? You don't even have to spend money anymore, right? And so there's so many great sermons you can listen to. There are podcasts that you can listen to. There are so many great and good Christian living books. You gotta be discerning there because there's a lot of junk ones as well, right? So so you have to be mindful. I mean, you can audit an, an online course at seminary. A lot of them do it for free. You can start a Bible. Bible study with your friends. You can just subscribe to some good Christian bloggers. You can pick up a devotional book, right? We, we've got more resources than ever in the history of the church to replace the junk food and to help us train in godliness. So use it, right? Pick up these resources that are so available and, and, and come and help. And, and if you're looking for good books to read, that's one of the reasons why we're giving books out on Sunday nights is to help showcase, here's a, here's a good book to read, right? Here's a good book to order and to read and to study. So, so pay attention to those books we're giving away on Sunday nights. We, we hope to have a book table eventually where people can buy books for their study and personal enrichment in Christ. And so, so pay attention to those things that we promote and the authors that we promote because those are good resources for for you to pick up to help train yourselves in this way. And then fourthly, just, again, we talked about this last week, but prioritize church attendance, that one of the main purposes of the church is to build up the body, that the church is the the, the gym, right, in which we are to grow in spiritual maturity. So, So we want to help you and equip you with the word of God as we preach and teach it each week, knowing that it's through the word of God that, that helps you grow in Christ. So, so one of the reasons that we believe and practice in expositional preaching, meaning preaching through books of the Bible, which we hope to start in the fall, right? But, but even preaching through verse by verse through the text is, is not only because we want you to know the word, but we're trying to help 
help you learn how to study the word of God on your own. That preaching is, is of course, for your own edification and building up in Christ, but it's also modeling for you how to interpret, study, and apply the scriptures. And so the church is the place in which we grow in our knowledge of the word. The church is a gift in this way. So, so when it comes to our diet, right, we gotta make sure we're filling our hearts, our minds with good spiritual food, particularly the word of God and sound doctrine that helps us grow and train in godliness. But second, we see this idea of exercise that Paul mentions in verse eight and nine. And so as we take in this steady diet of godliness, it requires diligent training and discipline to put that truth into practice, to serve others and to proclaim Christ. So we have to be active in our pursuit of Christ. Again, as I've already mentioned this morning, you don't drift into godliness. You must pursue Jesus. And we must partner with the Holy Spirit, right, who's doing this work of sanctification within us, who works in us and through us through grace-driven effort. So few of us have the discipline, it seems, though, to spiritually exercise. We work hard in all sorts of areas of our lives to be successful, but very few of us put the work in to grow spiritually in Christ. So we work hard at climbing that corporate ladder at work or perfecting our golf swing. But for some reason, we don't put that same effort into training for godliness. But notice what Paul says. He says, if you hit the gym, right, if you lift the weights, if you run on the treadmill, he says, that's, that's sort of physical exercise, that's, that's beneficial. It's a good thing to wanna to be physically fit, right? We're not trying to put that down in any way, but yet, even if you develop the muscle mass of Arnold Schwarzenegger, you can't take your deltoids and biceps to the grave, right? They're gonna to go to ash and to dust just like every human being does, right, as we die. But Paul says physical training has some value, right? And we do it in this life, but, but its value is temporary. It's not eternal. Our bodies will die and decay until they're resurrected in the last day by Christ himself. But the spiritual training, look at what Paul says, the spiritual training in the body of Christ, that, that is of eternal value. Look at verse eight. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and for the life to come, right? So if you wanna, if you wanna make the most of your time, if you wanna reap the greatest dividend on your work, right? The, the thing you should commit yourself most towards are those things which have eter of our eternal significance because those are the only things that are gonna last, right? Your golf swing is gonna go away. You're, you're working out and your body, that's gonna decay, but, but that which we grow and mature in Christ not only affects us today in our present life as we live for the Lord, but it carries on into eternity, right? The point is pretty clear. The gym of godliness is far more fruitful than the YMCA, right? That though we should steward our bodies well, though we should exercise and eat right, it's not forever. Training in godliness continues into eternity. So do not neglect that which is of eternal significance. Do not neglect your own growing in grace. So may we devote our energy, most of our energy, right? Not to growing in our hobbies, but to growing in godliness. Don't waste your life by pursuing temporary treasures, but set your focus on your treasure who is Christ. 
And then in case you're lacking motivation, look at verse 10. Paul reminds us of your motivation. And, and I think I've, I've talked to Thermone enough to say, what's the secret to personal training? And it's always keep the, keep the motivation in front of people, right? That's what's going to continue when you don't want to do it or when you're tired or when you don't want to get out of bed. And I think the same is true when it comes spiritually, that we can diet and exercise all we want, but if you're only doing it for a couple days, it's not going to do you any good, right? You have to be consistent. You have to endure, persevere in the task. And to do that, we must have the motivation. So we have that vision here that Paul gives us. Look at what he says in verse 10. He says, for this end, we toil and strive. Here's the why. Because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. You see, this is why Paul says we, we are, are devoted. This is why we toil and strive because our attention is set on God himself. We train in godliness to know him, to know Christ because, because he is the savior of all those who believe in, in Jesus. The reason we train to know Christ is because Christ is our all-consuming desire and joy. He is that which we value. He is our treasure and our purpose in our life. He is our hope in our life. This is exactly what Paul talks about in Philippians chapter three, verse seven, right? That whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my savior, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, right? That's the motivation that Paul gives us this motivation of pressing on in a regiment of godliness and discipline. We press on. What's our motivation? It's to know Christ, both in his sufferings and death, but, but we press on so that we might also experience the joys of his resurrected power. That like a runner in a marathon, we keep our eyes on the finish line. We remember what Christ has done for us and the reward of Christ that we'll receive at the end of the age. You see, I'm concerned that one of the reasons that we don't pursue Christ with this sort of intensity in our training is due to the fact that a lot of us really don't seem to care about knowing that much about Christ. Lesser treasures, lesser possessions, lesser hobbies tend to captivate our attention and hopes more than Jesus himself. But yet may God by his grace, may he give us this spiritual vision to behold Christ, to enjoy Christ, to delight in Christ, to desire Christ. And when we have that vision, we will gladly, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, right, beat our bodies and make them slaves for the pursuit of godliness. We will gladly count the cost. We'll gladly deny ourselves so that we can know Christ. He is the goal. He is the prize. And part of growing in godliness and spiritual maturity is having a myopic focus, a focus so intense, so singular on Jesus that we pursue him with such reckless abandon and intensity. And rest assured that if you seek Christ with this sort of intentional pursuit, know that the spirit of God will honor your efforts and he will sanctify you by his grace. So we must train for godliness. Again, you don't drift into godliness. You must train yourselves for it. But, 
But we also see in the passage that Paul tells Timmy, Timothy to model godliness, right? In verse 11 through 16, that he's to train himself, right? To grow in this way, so he's more holy, more, more devoted to Christ. But he also instructs Timothy as this pastor to be a model for the congregation of what it means to be godly and mature. Timothy is charged to command and teach these things to the church. Verse 11, right? Again, this isn't just for Timothy. This is for you and me. This is for the whole body of Christ. And Paul knows that Timothy is charged to command and teach these truths, but he knows that Timothy's age presents a big challenge for him in his ministry. Timothy was somewhere in his late 20s or mid 30s at the time of this writing. And Timothy has got quite the task, right? He is already prone to timidity. We've seen that, right? And now he has to shepherd a church that is very much being wrecked apart and divided by false teaching. And he's given the charge by Paul in this letter, right? To wrestle the false teachers, to protect the gospel, to shepherd those under his care. And more than that, Timothy might be doing this and he might not even be wanted, right? The church didn't vote on Timothy. He was appointed by apostolic authority, right? Paul said, Timothy, you go there to fix the mess, to solve these problems, to shepherd the church, right? So Paul appointed Timothy. Imagine what it must be like to be young Timothy, to pastor people who are much older than him in such a hostile and toxic church environment. I'm sure Timothy simply wanted to pick up his bags and run away at times. But yet Paul charges him to remain firm, to exercise his duties, to shepherd the church and to let no one despise him simply because he is young. Now, I can't teach you this passage, of course, without giving a bit of personal testimony because this passage has been a fount of encouragement as I felt like I've lived this passage over the last 10 years. I was joking with somebody. Somebody sent me this text uh, as an encouragement a couple weeks ago from Redemption, and I joked, and I said, well, this has been my life verse, and it will be at least for another decade, I guess. <laughs> Eventually, this doesn't become a problem as you get older. Uh, but, but again, for, the, for my 20s, uh, this has been such a source of encouragement. I started on staff at a church when I was 18 years old, student pastor at 23, first time being a senior pastor at age 25, and I say that not to draw attention to my age, but to share a continual struggle that I've experienced in this last decade of ministry of not being despised for my youth. And so this passage is well worn in my Bible as a young man who's striving to faithfully shepherd the people of God, people who are often much, much older than I am. So this passage in 1 Timothy is particularly addressed to a young pastor, but I think that Paul's teaching here is valuable guidance to all believers, particularly to young believers who are to be a model of godliness to others. That we are to aim, all of us, right? To live our lives in such a way that we are an example to one another. And this is, of course, particularly important for young men and women who aspire to some sort of leadership capacity in the church. This is particularly applicable to men who aspire to the office of elder within the church. But, but over time, and by the grace of God, when young men and women live faithfully, consistently, obediently, growing in godliness and maturity, that over time the older saints will grow in their respect as they see your maturity in Christ. So, so whether you are young or old, 
How do we do this? What can we learn from verse 11 through, through 16 here about how we are to model godliness around us? Well, let me give you four ways, right? First, Paul says that we model godliness in our character, in our character. Look at what he says in, in verse 11 and 12, right? He says, we are to set an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. This means that godliness that we cultivate in our life is put on display in our relationship with one another. You know, it's easy to be patient in Christ when you're by yourself. It's much harder to be patient with other people, right? And community is the crucible upon which our spiritual maturity is really revealed. It's through relationships with other people that we'll find out if you're really gracious, if you're really patient, if you're really generous, if you're really forgiving, right? You can say you're all that in your room studying your Bible by yourself, but it's through the context of the church where those things become evident and on display. So if you hope to to garner the respect of the congregation, then the grace of God should be evident in your life. That if you're a gossip, if you're a hot-headed person, if you're immoral, or if you're just flat out unreliable and nobody can count on you, then you're not gonna gain the respect of anyone, nor should you. We are called to set an example to one another, particularly those who are to be in the leadership of the church. Second, he says, we model godliness in our teaching, verse 13 through 14. This applies particularly to the position of pastors and the teachers of the church and any man who would aspire to the office of an elder. But Paul instructs Timothy, right, to devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. He tells Timothy not to to neglect the gift that you have, that being the gift of teaching. So here's something I had to learn really early on in my ministry, and I had to remind myself, and still do regularly, that the authority of the pastoral office is not derived from position or from age or even experience, but the authority of the pastoral office comes from the authority of God's word. That's where the authority lies, that the Bible is the rod in the hand of God's under-shepherd. That if young pastors want to garner the respect of those who are much older, they must display a mastery of the scriptures, of course, but they must also be mastered by the scriptures. Preach with authority from the word of God, even as you're under the authority of the word of God. So we must use the gift of teaching to faithfully build up the church. And this is a great truth that I've clung to throughout my pastoral ministry. Not only as I've sought to model godly character, but I've sought to faithfully teach the word. So so third, we see we model godliness in our growth, verse 15. That Paul tells, tells Timothy, verse 15, to practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see you progress. Right, as a young Christian, we are far, far, far away from arriving. <laughs> we all have a long ways to go, whether you're, you're 90 or, 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 or 20, right? But, but particularly when we're younger, we, we still have a lot of issues in our lives and maturing to do in a lot of different ways, particular spiritual maturity. But yet if we hope to gain the respect of older saints, we must display a pattern of growth, saturating ourselves in our truth. So, so the older saints should be able to look at the, the younger saints and say, man, they are growing 
like weeds, right? They're just growing so rapidly, seeing their knowledge of Christ increase, their knowledge of sound doctrine, seeing the way that they love and care, seeing the way they pursue holiness, seeing the way they care for their families, right? That, that the more people watch your life over the years, they should be seeing growth, progress in the faith. And I can think back over my last decade, and I've seen, of course, so many failures and sins in my own life, and I thank God that I'm not the man I was at 18 when I first started on staff at a church. I thank God I'm not the man I was last year. And I think about how much the Lord has continued to grow and mature me over the years and how much further I have to go as a husband, as a father, as a pastor and a preacher. Again, nobody hits perfection in this life, but over the course of our Christian journey, that others should be able to look into your life, into my life, and see our steady plodding and growth in Christ. Fourth, Paul says, we model godliness in our endurance, in our endurance, that our faithfulness to Christ must stand the test of time. Paul cautions Timothy in verse 16. He says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Watch your life and doctrine, Timothy. He goes on to instruct Timothy. Look what he says. He says, persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourselves and your hearers. So by enduring in the work of ministry over time, persisting in the training and the cultivating and the, and the modeling of godliness, Paul says God will work. By continually to faithfully shepherd the congregation, even as a young pastor, not only will Timmy's, Timothy's own life be saved, but so too will the lives of those whom he has been entrusted with that we must persist and persevere in Christ until the end, and a faithful shepherd watches over his life and teaching well, not only as a gracious reward that he will receive in heaven for being faithful, but he will also have the joy of knowing he has helped his church cross the finish line of faith. So though first 11 through 16 is specifically aimed at pastors, particularly younger pastors, again, I think these principles here apply to every believer in the church, that as we train for godliness, as we train for spiritual maturity, we should be modeling godliness and maturity within the community of the church. And again, we model this, not in some sort of like spiritual elitism to, to prove ourselves more mature than others or to exalt each other or to, to let pride get a hold of us, right? That's not why we do it but we are to live our lives in such a way that we are holding ourselves as an example to one another. Now, people get to get uncomfortable at such language because you might not want to be an example. Well, guess what? You're an example to somebody in your life, whether it's your spouse, whether it's to your children, whether it's to your friends, whether it's to the little ones roaming around the church on Sunday mornings, right? They're watching, they're observing, they're looking at your life, they're listening to how you speak, they're watching how you react. Even still, we ought to aspire to be an example to those who are young in the faith. So let me ask you a question. If a new Christian comes into the life of Redemption Church, someone comes to know Christ and we rejoice, we praise the Lord, and they have no idea what it means to be a Christian, they have no idea how Christians talk, how they act, how they think, how they read the Bible, how they pray. So, so if I wanted them to learn how to do that, if I sent them to follow you around for a week, what would they learn? If they wanted to know how a Christian would speak or act, would you be a faithful example during the week? If they want to know how a Christian reads the Bible and prays, would you be a faithful model for them to show them how? That if they wanted to, to witness what a Christian marriage looks like, could I send them to your home to watch? 
should they imitate yours? If the thought of such an idea makes you incredibly uncomfortable, then it just reveals, right, that, that you need to become more intense and focused on growing in Christ because all of us should aspire to growing in godliness and serving as a model to those who are younger in the faith. This is what we should aspire to. This is not just for pastors, right? This is for every member of the body, that God in Christ, he has saved us from our sins. And by faith, we are made righteous before God and set apart on a lifelong pursuit of holiness. This is the gospel, right? We are saved not by our training. We're saved by Jesus and by faith alone. And if you're not a Christian this morning, we, we offer to you and we extend to you this great gospel of grace that has saved us and transformed our lives. We believe that we are righteous before God, not because of our efforts, not because of our work, not because of the things that we do, but because of God's grace alone, that Jesus paid the penalty for our sins upon the cross and that all who believe upon Christ, turning from their sins, trusting in Jesus, are immediately justified before God and will experience the great reward and blessing of eternity with God. But throughout our lives, the because God has saved us, because God has already declared us righteous, the Christian life then is becoming what God has already declared us to be. Becoming righteous, becoming holy as he is holy. And as we've seen, training ourselves for godliness is hard work. It's grueling, right? But we must be intentional. Thanks be to God that that again, he not only justifies us, but he also sanctifies us. He not only redeems us, he keeps us redeemed. He not only declares us righteous, but he makes us righteous. So my prayer is that Redemption Church becomes a, a spiritual gymnasium, so to speak, where you can train yourself for godliness and that you can help others to do the same. And that by the grace of God, may the covenant community of Redemption Church foster this sort of discipleship culture where we are training one another and modeling to one another how to faithfully follow Jesus and that we would do this and progress and grow and mature until Jesus calls us home. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for your grace that not only washes us and saves us from our sins as we put our faith in Jesus, but Lord, your grace also helps us to grow in godliness and grace and in maturity. Father, we confess, Lord, that so often we have failed to pursue you with the same intensity that we pursue advancement in our careers, skill in our hobbies, the leisures of our lives, Father, in so many ways, our spiritual maturity tends to take a back seat to other lesser priorities. Father, help us to repent of that today. Help each of us to individually commit ourselves to live for Christ and for Christ alone. Fill our hearts with that great motivation of beholding Jesus and his glory. May he be the desire of our hearts. And Lord, as we desire him, may we diet off of the good food of his word. And Lord, may we commit ourselves to the exercise of our faith and putting it into practice. And Father, as we grow and mature in Christ, may we faithfully model to one another what it means to follow Jesus, helping others in the church to grow and mature and to learn what it means to follow Jesus in every area of our lives. Father, we are thankful, Lord, that you are doing this work in us. And Father, we pray that as we commit ourselves to, to grace-driven effort, 
Lord, that your spirit would honor our efforts. And Lord, that you by your grace would continue to sanctify us by your spirit's power. And that Redemption Church would be a community of explosive spiritual growth as the covenant community of members and families partnered together. Lord, that we would all grow for your glory. Father, I do pray for those this morning who don't know Christ. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would convince them of their sin, convict them of their sin, Lord, that they would see the wrath that they are under because of their sin, and Lord, that you would call them out of darkness into light, Lord, that you would open up their eyes to see the beauty of Jesus and what he has done for them on the cross, and Lord, that they would turn from their sins and trust in Jesus as Savior and as Lord. And Father, that you would commit them to being a part of this church family so that we can help model for them and show them what it means to follow Jesus. Father, we pray, Lord, that any decisions, any repentance that needs to be done during this final song, that your spirit would lead us in accordance to it. And Father, we thank you for our time together today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.